Hello and welcome to the Negative Space Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Sippy. As a reminder, all of these episodes are recorded live in front of an actual audience. So if you want to join and bring your questions to the panel, you can check out the Negative Space website for a full schedule and registration as well. Also, the, the video recording is on YouTube, so you can watch that as well. Now then, on to the show. So today we're talking with Deb J.J. Lee, who you will see here on screen with me. Deb is a Korean-American artist currently living in Brooklyn, New York. They have appeared in The New Yorker, Washington Post, NPR, Google, Radiolab, PBS, and more. Books they've illustrated include The Invisible Boy by Alyssa Hollingsworth and The Other Side of Tomorrow by Tina Cho. They enjoy reality TV, sparkling water, and pretending to be an extrovert. Deb, welcome. It's true. It's true. It's still true. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, Thanks for being yeah. here. Of course. So, we're going to start where we always do, which is with your creative origin story. What made you want to tell stories in the first place? Um, I fell into it by accident, actually. I, I, like, I feel like, what is life but a pleasant oopsie? I just <laughs> uh, kind of stumbled into it. Um, I um, actually have a background. I mean, if we're going into the whole, like, my villain origin story, uh, my I went to school in a very engineering focused university. And I was basically training to become a UX designer in Silicon Valley. Like that's kind of the program that they had us do. Um, so, you know, I kind of didn't, I didn't really draw for a while. And I think there was a point where I, I realized that drawing is actually very important to my mental psyche. Uh, so then I started drawing again after realizing that like, hey, UX design isn't really for me, but I was still in it professionally. And I think it was my senior year of college where I decided that, you know, illustration is the thing that I want to do. And I wasn't a very lucky spot because I had a creative, I had a, sorry, a full-time job lined up after graduation at, a, at LinkedIn actually. And I was also, you know, just, in a, in a spot where I can like goof around, but like goof off and while still making sure that I get all my assignments done and on and on time, but I was, you know, trying to make a portfolio at the same time. So I was, I was just like doing as much, I was just desperate to build an illustration portfolio. And there were a few lucky breaks by the time I had a full illustration portfolio. I think it was like spring semester, like every week I would make something and slap it in on, on my website. And then it would just grow and grow and grow. And by spring semester, I had like a pretty healthy like amount of work. And I applied to a few things. Like I applied for the Society of Illustrators, which is like, they have a student competition every year. And I got in and like, to my surprise, like I did pretty well. Like one of my pieces ended up getting like a pretty good scholarship, which was surprising because I knew I was I was competing against like kids from RISD, kids from SVA who like they've been submitting, that school have been, has been submitting work into the Society of Illustrators for like decades. And when my school, when I was like um, submitting to the Society of Illustrators, it turns out I had to register the school because no one has ever registered ever submitted anything to the society of illustrators so it was surprised that like the first time that the school submits something my school submitted something like it did really well um so that was actually how my literary agent found me because they posted about on twitter and my agent 
found me through like a tweet as we all do nowadays. <laughs> and then he, uh, he reached out and was like, Hey, have you ever thought about working in picture books? And I said, uh, like I was actually trying to go for, I mean, I didn't tell him this at the time, but I wanted to do more editorial illustration, mm-hmm. um, which like, there's a lot of glory in editorial illustration, even though it's like the, the least it's like the bottom of the bucket for illustration though. Cause it's like, like everyone is trying to fight for pennies and it's so underpaid, but I was like, I know I want to be an editorial illustrator, but like, sure. I, at that point I was like willing to take anything. Mm-hmm. So got a literary agent. And by the time I, um, and then I actually got the, there, there was like an NPR illustration internship that comes out once in a blue moon and I happen to be the one to get it even though I was like competing against like kids who come from illustration backgrounds like I was like I'm kind of figuring my stuff out like for three months and I was able to get all these things that like you know made me it was a lot of like external validation that like oh no Mm -hmm. you are just as qualified as these like art kids um even though you're kind of like faking it until you make it really and then um I worked in PR and then later that fall I moved to the Bay Area to start working at LinkedIn UX designer but what they really had me do was like make illustration which what does that mean I don't know um I still don't know what my job was actually and then by the time I um it was like it was like around the fall and then I was when I was there and I kind of like was noticing the cultural differences of like the demographics is, are really different from where I grew up versus Sunnyvale, which is where I lived in Silicon Valley. And it was just like, there were a lot of Korean families and I felt like this was my first time being around Korean families where I didn't really have an in because usually it's my parents who were like, Oh, Hey, like this is Deb. Like, they are Korean too. And you're like kind of welcomed in with open arms, but as a non-Korean speaker, like I can't speak Korean um, or I can't do it well. I have like the vocabulary of like a three-year-old maybe. And so I felt a little, a little bit of angst. And then I, um, I like wrote a little comic about it. And this was like my second comic ever, like maybe like four pages. And I was like, oh, this is so much work. This is so hard. And then um, it took me like a week. It, I like really hauled ass to do it. And it took me like a weekend. I posted on Twitter and it actually went viral because mm. but for me, it went viral because I like wasn't I didn't really have like a following at the time. So it went pretty viral for my standards. And I think it was because uh, Michelle's honor from Crying in HMR Japanese Breakfast retweeted it. And I didn't know her at the time. I only know like some of her music. Um, but this was before Crying in H-Mart was announced. And now when you read Crying in H-Mart, you're like, oh, like it makes sense why she would post this. And then my agent uh, was like, oh, uh, I didn't know you make comics. And to be honest, I didn't either. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, he was like, he threw in another idea. It's like, how about you make a graphic novel? Like, would you want to put, like pause, like the idea of pitching a picture book aside and start working on a graphic novel instead. And I said, okay, sure. Um, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing because I, like I said, like I've only made like maybe one and a half comics. So we put together a pitch packet and we submitted it. And I think like, it was crazy. I think like in 30 minutes, my 
current editor reached out and was like, yeah, like I want this. And we got like a multi-book deal out of that. And so I really like, I really just tripped into it. I, there were no plans when I started illustration to work in comics. Like I really, I haven't really read a lot of, I, I didn't really grow up with comics. Mm -hmm. Like comics weren't a really big part, weren't a big part of my life at all. Um, Mostly because my parents, my mom wouldn't let me read them. Like, outside of like you know the library or like the bookstore like we weren't allowed to take them home mm. um I guess aside from Calvin and Hobbes but like that was that was like a little treat um <laughs> but yeah I really just tripped into it I wish I had a better answer of like how to like like how to make it in graphic novels like I I don't know like I I didn't really I'm lucky that I didn't have to struggle to find an agent or find an editor because they kind of just like fell into my lap in a way. And I think it was just like being there at the right time at the right place and having like a portfolio at the ready just in case if any opportunity wants to find you. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, and I like that answer because, you know, one of the things that we see through all the people we talk to here is that there is no right way to get into this. There is no, like you follow these steps and you're there. Sometimes it just happens. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think there, there are a lot of things I wanted to get back to, but, but first off, I wonder if you could explain what you maybe a stupid question, what is editorial illustration? Sure, editorial illustration is like, would be like illustrations for like one-off illustrations for articles like mag okay. magazines or newspapers. Like when you open the New York Times, there's probably like an illustration on the front page. That's an editorial illustration. Mm -hmm. um, the New Yorker is considered, like any drawings in the New Yorker, excluding the cartoons are considered editorial illustrations. I think editorial illustrations are meant to convey like one story, like one short article or one short think piece or something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to ask, you know, you mentioned how you were up against all these kids who were coming from these really prestigious art schools. And I wanted to yeah. ask about how you were figuring out your artistic style during this time. Like, were you going to classes for this or what were sort of your creative inspirations that were helping you compete with this sort of higher, like higher education of art? <laughs> I mean, I found out that my art my my university doesn't support illustration at all um they i think like the most illustration resources i had were like maybe like this much of shelf space in like an arm's length of sh um, shelf space shelf space in the library about like illustration for the entire university and a teacher a professor who used to be an illustrator but quit and i think out of bitterness like told me all these lies about the illustration industry and told me that, you know, like, why would you charge any money for a picture book if no one's going to hire you like verbatim? Like, she's like, no one's going to hire you, Deb, like, like stuff like that. So I was like actively being discouraged to pursue illustration. And I really relied on, you know, cold emailing. I relied on listening to podcasts, like doing, like listening to stuff like this, mm -hmm. I think, is how I would have like tried to teach myself what the illustration industry looks like. Um, I don't actually Instagram is a big help because you kind of figure out like, well, who's following who and you kind of figure out like what the network of illustration looks like, especially, I guess, New York illustrators tend to be very like, they have like their own groups, I would say. <laughs> I, that's funny because I had whenever I was in undergrad I had a creative writing professor and I was so into writing and I just found it and I was like how can I like how can I get a book out there and he's like you can't you won't oh, like, oh well that's fun <laughs> so I what? like to hear like, why why did he that, say that 
I don't, I think it was the same thing. It's just a, a teacher, a frustrated teacher who's, who's, you know, not, it wasn't an English school. Like it wasn't a school that you go to for creative writing. I, I, I see. It was similar where I went there was something completely different and realized that creative writing was so much more fun. And this was, I guess the best that they had was somebody to sort of teach you the art and then tell you, you can't ever do anything with this, which was. That's kind of, the yeah, they shouldn't let those people teach because mm -hmm. It's like you're here, you could be at somewhere else and you're clearly frustrated and you've given up a little bit, but you can't lash out to students right. who could have who have a shot, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so I wanted to ask you also about sort of creative breakthrough moments that you've had, you know, especially being, you know, not entirely self-taught, but somebody who's been exploring your style. Like what were there any moments in your either professional or creative life where you had like aha epiphany moments of of understanding yourself as an artist better? Um yeah, there were a few moments. I think when I was trying to become an editorial illustrator, I noticed that a lot of those people tend to find like try to find a voice through like really unconventional ways. So maybe maybe that's not the right way to say it, but they tend to have work that is a little bit more experimental. Mm -hmm. um, editorial art directors tend to, you know, they like to like break the mold of what illustration is. So you can you see a lot of like wacky illustrations that are really popular among editorial illustration, but like, you know, doesn't really fly with like, isn't as common as you would see in like publishing. Like, it's not as digestible, et cetera. So I was really pushing myself to see like, well, what can I be? And I think I tried to become somebody that I really wasn't that way. So I started drawing in ways where, you know, I realized that like time really told, like it was really like, it was like, um, it was time that would tell me that, oh no, like this is not how you like to draw. Like this is not the type of drawing that makes you happy. Like this is, these are drawings that you can appreciate like on Pinterest, but it's not something that would make you happy in the long term. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of those moments where I realized that, okay, I'm experimenting for the sake of experimenting and not because I'm trying to evolve like to a different version of myself. Um, and yeah, I think, I don't think I really realized like what my, what my, um, like illustration style was like I don't think I really figured out that path until like maybe beginning of last year mm -hmm. um so I've only drawn been drawing in the way that I've drawn since like beginning of 2022 when I started mixing um I, I just like decided that you know I don't have to work there are no rules in illustration like I like just because I have a lot of line work doesn't mean I can only use line work in an illustration like I can really paint in it as well um, and I think that really, like, I don't have to follow rules. Um, and I think that's why my illustrations look really rigid at first. Like, in my opinion, I think they look pretty rigid. Um, and then I figured out, like, oh, no, like, I can mix, like, painting and line work because those are both things I like to do. Um, so I think it was then when I realized that, oh, this is the kinds of illustration that I like doing. And luckily for me, I think that is when more work started coming in. Like, I think people realize that oh this like this these look good and then I started getting reached out to by like illustration agents um and more brands that wanted to work with me and then that's when like I started getting work a little bit more regularly knock on wood hope that mm -hmm. hope that continues but you never know with freelance like you can have some dry months dry years even you just never know
I want to get back to something you'd mentioned about how you share this first cartoon and that's what got a lot of attention. Um, mm -hmm. Especially because a lot of, you know, that's something that a lot of artists hear is you have to put stuff out there in the world. That's, it can be daunting yeah. at times. So how, oh, how, did, yeah. how did you sort of come to terms with sharing your stuff and find the confidence to put it out there? I don't think I ever struggled with the confidence because I've been posting art online since like I was 13 or 14. Um, so it was just like something that I've always been used to. Um, I think it helped that in my high school and my, in my, like my grade, like I was known as like the drawing kid, like I was known as the art kid. So, um, I was like, yeah, like I had certain pride in my work and I like drawing during school. Like I like to like not pay attention during class. Um, and as a result, have no idea what's going on. Um, and I had confidence like, no, like I know my drawings are good. And then like for like the type of experience uh, or like my age at the time. So I was like fine posting it to like DeviantArt or to Tumblr, but you know, like it took a while. I don't think it was until like, maybe like a couple years ago when but my work started becoming like oh like people start recognizing my work or like people like I don't have sometimes I don't have to introduce myself and that that's a crazy moment to think about like after almost 10 years of posting art online I think it's just like I think if anything I have a problem with like posting stuff online or like or like thinking that like, this is something I talk to with my therapist all the time, but, like, I feel like, oh, well, if it doesn't do well online, then it must not be good, right? Like, it's, but that's just not true. <laughs> um, I'm trying to, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I am drawing a little bit more um, to, like, stuff that's for me. You know, I, I, I like, started working, um, well, it's, like, back there, and I'm not, like it's actually holding a page. So I don't want to like ruin that, but I've been filling up a sketchbook today or like the last few months where it's just me practicing drawing figures. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff that I'm not going to share any to anybody because it's just like scribbles. Um, but being comfortable with, you know, not every drawing you do has to be shareable, you know, like be okay with being messy and have some things that you kind of keep closer to your heart. Um, so yeah, um, I think it's just like, I have the opposite problem where mm -hmm. I try to post, I try to like capitalize on everything I do um, when I don't really, I shouldn't do that. So let's get into In Limbo a bit. We yeah. Might say, yeah. Uh, so it's right here, as you can see, In Limbo. Uh, it's a gorgeous graphic memoir. It's out now from first second. Uh, so one thing that, you know, there's a lot we're going to talk about here, but I want to first talk about why this was the period of life you want to focus on because memoir, you know, you can choose, you, you choose which story you tell, which part of your life you want to show. What was it about this part that you wanted to focus on? Um, I think it was, I don't know. I feel like my life has just been a giant, like, like since I was, as long as I can remember, I don't think I had a very particularly enjoyable childhood. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when it got really dark was, in like closer between like eighth grade to high school um so it was just like you know I think I had like the most material to talk about I and I can like you know always sprinkle in stuff from like the past that kind of informed the plot or informed my decision making um 
but yeah, I think, I think it's just because like the high school times were like, they really informed the kind of person I am now in a way, like, um, even though I feel like I didn't really learn all the lessons that I should have learned at the time until like, I don't know when I was like 21, but, um, yeah, I, I think it was just like, if I tried to cover more, it would have been like a giant, like it would have been like a mammoth of a book mm -hmm. and I, it's already kind of big and I don't want to like, I, I don't want to bore anybody instead of like, I don't know. I, I think just putting it to high school makes sense because that's when our identities feel like they're like the shakiest, right? We don't really know who we are. We're about to like become in, like independent we're about to go to college, we're about to like, and we're just, we have a lot of expectations about what high school is like, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think I, I, that's a good question. I never really thought about this. Um, but I feel like it's due to the fact that high school was probably high school and middle school, actually, were like the darkest times of like my emotional life. Sure. That makes sense. That makes total sense. Um, and then similar to that, I'm curious, and I love hearing this from memoirs of, of all stripes of what whenever you set out to tell this story what were you what was your objective what were you hoping to achieve by telling this story um I think it was um it was mostly for me I think I that's interesting I at the beginning I realized that there was a point where I realized that oh am I making this book to call out other people who I felt oh. like have wronged me you know am I am I pointing fingers is that is that why I'm making the book and I realized that that's like that's not a healthy way to you know spend like so much of your life like being angry or spend so much of your, the time that you're working on it spent you're spending working on this book being angry um and then towards the because there were a lot more like, like microaggressions of the same of the same like color or like the same conversations over and over and over again but by like different people so I realized that I had to like condense them all into like you know one microaggression that was done over like a series of by a bunch of different people that I just like condensed into like one thing um and like I think halfway through I realized like oh this book is like not hateful but it's I feel like people from my childhood people from high school are going to pick this up and if they read it and they're like, oh, wow, like Deb really hated us. But like Deb didn't like they were just there. Like they didn't do anything wrong. Like like no one hated Deb. And that was true. I um, I think there was um, I was putting a lot of resentment into places that didn't really deserve resentment. So halfway through, I kind of changed it. I had to change the plot. I had to change like the outcomes of everyone's actions and kind of throw it back on me to just tell people that like yeah I mean there were some people that were like kind of shitty but that's not that's not like their fault mm. you know or like it is their fault but like I could deal with this differently and it became more about like okay like let's not let's not like throw people under the bus but let's make it so that I'm doing this for me like mm. I I know that if I, if this book, if I die without making a book like this, that's about like me coming to terms with everything, I'd be pretty unhappy mm. um, in general. 
So I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to do this because I think I wanted to make some kind of like archive of like stuff that happened in my life um, since I remember thinking about this when I was like 10. Mm. I was like, I want to do something like this one day, even though I only had like 10 years of my life to talk about. But at that, at like 10 years old, a lot had happened already um, that I was like, yeah, there's enough material here. But, you know, I had to wait a little bit longer to really have like, like, the opportunity to you know tell stories like this and was there a moment like you mentioned in the book that you've worked on this from from since 2018 I believe yeah um, was there a moment when this story was in your head where where like or even before the story like when the story dawned on you that you realized you had to share this story was there like a, a, a inciting incident so to say where you're like oh my gosh this is the story I should tell um well, it was like that comic when I was at like this cafe and there was a like, Korean family and they were all like happy. And I, for some reason, felt the urge to like, you know, the strange urge to be like, hey, uh, I'm Korean too, by the way. And like, just in case you guys can't tell. Um, and that's when that was the moment where I made the comic, where I wanted to make the comic. And then that's when it got picked up. Um, as like, oh, this can be a graphic novel. And at first, like my agent was like, talking about the idea like oh what if you like make a graphic novel about you about like an extension of this comic which the comic was about like trans um transgenerational like language barriers Mm -hmm. um like a a way of like rant like venting about how you know my grandparents will basically die without us having like a true conversation um and he was like why don't you just make a comic about like make a graphic novel about all those phone calls you do with your grandparents and i was like I am not going to do that because I don't have enough material. And if I'm going to talk about that, I have to talk about so much more. Like, oh, you want like, like a little, like a little box of this. Well, here's like closets and closets of all this emotional baggage that I can bring to the table. And like, it's like this box is like attached to like, like the doorknob, which if I bring it out, everything's going to spill out from the closets that are behind me. Um, so it's like, you can't have that without this. And then, yeah. uh, you know, thinking back to high school, you know, I think about high school sometimes and there are things that stand out, but there are so many gaps between those things. So I'm curious how you went about sort of mining those memories and filling in the blanks uh, uh, and, and how particular you were with the details of what happened day to day. Yeah, I mean, most of them are like a lot of the stories or like the more generic moments in the book where it's like oh like going to the movies oh like we're in art class like oh we're in English English class now like those are all like generic enough that I can just like make my own and Mm -hmm. you know like this could have happened in an alternative alternate reality but this isn't exactly how it played out but it leaves you with the same emotion that I want you to have like as I felt so um a generic interaction like probably never happened like the one of the inter- some of the inter- interactions in the book probably never happened, but like it's an amalgam of all these interactions that happen, like summed up in one conversation mm-hmm. um, that didn't actually happen the way it did. Um, also, um, this is a little strange, but my English teacher, I have a lot of thoughts about this. My English teacher actually had us write journals as assignments. So I was able to um, like in the most like pivotal, the darkest moments, I wrote them down like right after the fact into like a, into a Google doc that I had to turn into an assignment. 
So actually like the Google doc was still there. Mm. So I was able to like pick that up and be like, okay, like this is how it exactly played out. Um, and I was able to like map it um, like as, as like, as it did when I, when it happened um, oh, almost 10 years ago. So thank you to my English teacher who um, was a strange man <laughs> for having us write journal entries that he would then read and grade. Um, I have a lot of stories about him, actually. He was a, um, this is like tangent. Uh, I know you said, I, I, I remember you said that I can do tangents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, he was actually, are you familiar with The Watcher House? It was like a Netflix series. Yes. But it was based off of True Story. Have you seen it? Yes. Do you remember that um, there was one episode where there was, it was about an English teacher? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was based off of that English teacher, my English teacher. Oh, why? He was the suspect, one of the suspects of the Watcher House. And he was like, in real life, like my English teacher who made us write those journals. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. Whenever you said yeah. journal entries, I'm like, oh, well, journal entries are cool. But then you were like, oh, he read and grade them. That, that's, that's wild. That's something... like, he's a writer. He's a YA author. So he actually like, it's pretty clear that, I mean, he was teaching in that school system since the eighties. And it was pretty clear that he would take our journal entries and like use them as inspiration for his own books, which became movies with Zac Efron and Richard mm -hmm. Linklater, who directed Boyhood that won an Oscar. He also had his own NPR segment for a while, I think, in the 90s. And um, yeah, he's just a strange man. <laughs> he was he was like a cool teacher. But then you look back 10 years later, and you're like, Oh, that was bad. Like that mm. was bad. Um, yeah, anyway, that was my tangent. It's wow. My little like fun facts that yeah, I know. <laughs> I know the watcher, some of the watcher house suspects like in real life. That's crazy. Uh, I'm convinced that he was he was it though. Well, I'm convinced now too after what you just told yeah. me. Yeah, so. <laughs> he's a weird dude. Yeah. So speaking of real people, I I think that's one of the the things that a lot of nonfiction writers struggle with is how you write about real people, uh, how you navigate, especially when they're close to you, when they're family, friends, loved ones. How did you how did you navigate that space? I mean, it's really just about being as transparent as possible, like letting the people know in your life that like hey, I'm doing this and um, I, if you want, I can change your identity a little bit, um, but this is happening. But like, I think the person I was most concerned with was like probably my mom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I gave her many opportunities to be like, here's the draft, here's the second draft, here's how this is gonna go. Here, here's everything that happened that will be in the book. And she's like, okay, yeah, cool, like, fine. Um, I think she's accepted that, you know, it's my life and I should be able to write what happened because, you know, it, it affected me very much. Um, she has not read the book and I don't expect her to. So, but everybody else, like Kate, Quinn, um, Quinn was a little bit more complicated, but like I made sure that all those, I tried to minimize as many like one-to-one as possible like I made up characters that were just like generic versions of like a bunch of people so um I, I was actually talking to some people from high school recently and they were asking like well who was who and I said like well a group of people was this person and like another group of people was this person so you can't really be like I think that's blank but it's like no it was somebody like it's a bunch of people you won't be able to like really point them out mm-hmm I know a lot of people who enter the nonfiction space end up writing it as fiction just to sort of avoid that. 
Did you ever consider mm-hmm. doing that or was it always going to be nonfiction? I think it was always going to be nonfiction. Hmm. Uh, so let's, you, you had gotten into a bit of storytelling elements, but I want to talk, especially because I feel like in the memoir space, I'm always curious how writers engage with the traditional storytelling elements, like character development, for instance. Were you mm-hmm. like concerned with building characters the way that you would in a traditional story or were you just sort of telling it as you remembered it? I was telling it as I remembered it. I This is like my first full length story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know what to do next. Like, I, I think I, I have to take like, I think like in, later this year, I'm going to take some um, creative writing classes to really understand what that is because I don't know what, I don't really know what good writing is to be honest like I don't really like I can probably tell but I don't know what what it really like what the rules are if there are any um yeah so it's just a giant question mark because I know I have to make like stories later um as part of my contract uh that are probably gonna be fiction um and I have to figure out how to do that at all so this is also a storytelling element question, but I feel like I have specific examples from your book that I think will help oh. as well. Of you know, okay, the the pacing of it, I feel like was was really really well. It felt like you intuitively knew when to do jump ahead, like skip ahead in time, and you know, we yeah. went from this point to now we're in another year of school. Were, was this part of the editing process, or were you just sort of intuitively knowing, like, okay, we can skip ahead now because nothing else happened in this period? Yeah, that was the editing process because at first the book was like almost twice, like it was like fifty percent longer than it was. Like it was all it was basically five hundred pages when I first wrote it out. Um, but it got to the point where like, hey, we don't really need all this material. Like we can like scrap this. So there was a lot of scrapping, um, which is I think a better problem to have than like here is very little work and we need to expand this. So I think. Um, yeah, like I, I, I really didn't know what to expect with that process, but I'm glad I had more than I should, as opposed to not having enough. Sure. Um. So yeah, there was a lot of cutting from um, uh, during the editing process. And I, I will get yeah. back to the editorial process when we talk about sure. the the business side of things. But I also just want to touch on again how um you were working at this project for a long time, and and I know. You know, speaking from experience, speaking from a lot of writers I've talked to, they have trouble sticking with projects for that long or they'll bounce around between projects. How did you yeah. stick with this one for so long? Um, well, it was like circumstantial, I think. Like when I quit my um, my full time job, like the pandemic started like a few months later. So I had enough money saved up from my time in Silicon and like in tech to be able to like, OK, well, if I don't have I don't get any work for a year. I'm, I'm solid. Like, this is fine. But um, luckily that didn't happen. But I, it was my day job. Like that book was my day job. And I, I think I'm pretty, I would, I would say that I have a pretty strong work ethic. So I was able to schedule out like, okay, do one page a day, like when I was drawing it. Mm. Um, but when I was editing it, or when I was thumbnailing it, it was like a little like side project thing, because I still had a job. Um, like that was something I had to work on in the off hours but then when I was working on the book like drawing it out like rendering the pages that are what they are today um that took a that was like okay draw one page a day that was usually eight hours a day like render this page once a day and maybe have like four to five pages by the end of the week and then that was drawn out to like 
okay, well now I have like this long-term project that for some reason they're forced, they're like having me do this and I can't afford to not work on the book right now. So then I would, I would, um, I mean, the book was supposed to come out in 2021 as it was originally slated, but that was just not humanly possible for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually got it extended to like 2023. And then I think that's my track record actually is like each book will take me around five years. Mm-hmm um more or less and I think like that was a healthy even that I felt like like that's going fast but um yeah it was a it was a it was a process Mm. um I usually dedicate half my week to working on books and the other half of the week um I'm working on other illustration projects right now yeah I wonder if you could go into more of the process because I I know it sounds like you have a really good creative practice in place. And I know there are a lot of writers who come at this and they like schedule time every day to write. And some who are just like, whenever it happens, it happens. What's your mm-hmm. practice like? Um, I don't know. It's, I'm a little um, burnt out right now. So right now it's, it looks a little bit different, but I would say like, yeah, it's like, okay, on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, I will, I have a quota that I try to fill on those days. Um, right now it would be coloring two pages a day of something of like the current book I'm working on um, Tuesdays, Thursdays. I have like a checklist. Um, I have like a to-do list on my notes app that I do like, okay, well Tuesday do this. Also you have an appointment at one o'clock. You have a call at three, go to the gym at five. Um, and I usually, I think now it's like, okay, well hopefully you're done by like nine or 10 and then you can like, chill out for an hour or two and then go to bed because I, I don't know. I've never had trouble with time management. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm usually pretty ahead of schedule, if not like on time, um, which is like kind of how it's reflected on like how I show up for like my friends or like to appointments. Like I usually try to get there pretty early mm-hmm. or to the airport early. So I've never had a problem with like, like I, I just like, I just, have a checklist for the day that I try to accomplish. Hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, through the process of, you know, you, you mentioned that this was 500 pages, you had to cut it down, that there were, you know, maybe more anger in it before. Were, were there any other sort of storytelling breakthroughs that as you told it, you sort of reevaluated how either you saw your life differently in the past or how you sort of re or did you any sort of parts of the story that you retold after sort of looking back on them? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think it really helped that my editor is actually like an Asian mom. Hmm. So to have her be with like kind of work on this progress process with me, you know, I was I was able to get a lot of her point of view of like, okay, well, I'm a mom, like, let's, like, here's like, a perspective that I think your mom would have like, so she was really helpful in that because my mom is pretty closed off from like, emotion like she doesn't really reveal a lot about what she's feeling Mm -hmm. if she does at all um so having her so having like connie who's my editor uh work with me on that was really helpful because i i feel like i have no idea what it's like i have no idea what it's like to be an asian mom um so having yeah like having her like there to like kind of throw in her sense of um like her side of the story would was really helpful. Also, she like grew up in Alabama, which is funny. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And then I wanted to ask about the visual style as well. Uh, 
first off, starting with what what medium do you use? Is it all digital? It's all Procreate, yeah. Okay. I only use the default brushes. Mm. I was gonna mm. ask because like I feel like it's technically black and white, but there's like a soft blueness to it. That, yeah. That, it works yeah, so well. I'm curious. I, I just wanted to ask you what, like, how long it took you to develop that particular style? Because I feel like it served the story so well. Really? Okay, that's good because I kind of just winged it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was also for a way for me to get away with not using color. Mm. Um, I also was really inspired by like Brian Selznick um, and Sean Tan's work to like they're very like I mean they use real pencil. Like I'm just using fake pencils. Um, so I was like, I wanted to kind of emulate that style a little bit more, um, but like mix it with like lines for characters because I wanted to make it feel like an animation, like an animated film. Um, you know how the backgrounds are always like very painterly, but like those animations are usually like cell shaded. So I wanted to go with that aesthetic, um, but I don't, that was like kind of my aesthetic for comics for like a second. And then I realized like, oh, uh, like this isn't really what I, want like this isn't I don't think I'll be using this style again actually um just for this specific case um but I don't know how I like came to land to that style in particular I think I I know I drew everything in like pure black like using like black pencil color to draw it like when I was pitching the project um but actually it came out to look pretty noir um and I was also thinking about like this one summer by um, Rico and Jillian Tamaki which uses like I'm pretty sure like they use Jillian used like black ink but like had it colored in Photoshop so it has like a more atmospheric color um, which actually worked out in our favor because it just feels like a softer atmosphere if instead of using like hex code zero 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 sure yeah um, yeah so let, let's talk about the business side of things a bit as well because as fun as the creative process is you still have to sell the book you still have to go through the editorial process and all that stuff so mm -hmm. you mentioned that you got an agent fairly early on in the process um can you take us through a bit of sort of the back and forth like whenever you came whenever you linked up with your agent sort of and this story took root what were some of the first steps you made in getting the story out to market yeah so um I think each agent works differently, but depending on who your person is, they have like a certain set of guidelines of like, okay, well, here's how we would model our graphic novel pitch packet. And mine, um, cons like, cons it was like a, it was a word doc. I, I don't think people use, I think that was a little unusual that like in retrospect, but for graphic novels, um, cause you want to make it as visually appealing as possible. But mm. yeah, mine consisted of like, here I am, here's a synopsis here are titles that I'm inspired by. Here's my bio. Um, and here are 15 sample pages of what I want the book to look like, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously the aesthetic changes as time, like, as time goes on because my pitch pages looked very noir, like a murder mystery. And I was like, I don't know if this will work in for all the scenes because I was drawing a nighttime scene when I was doing, when I was pitching it, um, so I was like, I don't know if this is going to work for like a daytime scene or a classroom scene. So yeah, I kind of, um, changed it to a little, a bit of a lighter color to work with, mm -hmm. but yeah, it, it just depends. Um, he just gave me like Ed, my agent just gave me like, okay, here's my need from you. I'm like, cool. Um, and then he compiles it together and he's like, here's all the editors that I think would be into this. Cool. I'm like, all right, great. 
and he sends it out himself um and i just like kind of like twiddle my thumbs for a second and i'm like pretend to do work at work um at my fake job <laughs> was there any editorial feedback from your agent or was it all he took your stuff sent it off and then the edit editor came in with that i don't remember any editorial changes from him i think he just like helped me with grammar hmm. I think he trusted I I think he trusted me which is uh, I feel like as um as an agent that's really that's very freeing cuz yeah. um you know same with my editor she was very like yeah she's very um do what you want um and then if she needs if she is like this needs to change she'll advise that I change it and she did that for like a few years while cuz we were editing a book for a year um Cause we were really, we really wanted to make sure the, the thumbnails, like, like we were just like editing thumbnails for a year. And then after that, that's when I started drawing the final art. And I actually changed a lot of things on my own without telling her, but I think that was for the best. Um, I think I figured out, like, I really, really thought about like, well, how does this, how do I want this book to flow? And I would let her know every now and then she'd be like, cool. Okay. And then, um, but yeah, I, uh, that's why I wasn't, I didn't have to like change a lot of the art because I knew exactly what I want the book to accomplish. And I think like she, um, I think she trusted me with the art enough that she didn't really have to like ask for a lot of changes. Like maybe there was like one panel, I, I like erased. Hmm. That was it. <laughs> what was the, you said your agent showed you a list of all the editors he was going to send it to. What was the response like? Were there multiple takers or was it always going to yeah. be for a second? It was, a, I mean, I, I knew that my top choice would be like Connie because I know she's worked with Tilly Walden, like mm -hmm. for spinning on a sunbeam. Are you listening? Um, so Connie is Tilly's editor for first second, I think usually. Um, and yeah, so and like, I mean, spinning was one of the first like memoirs I read where I was like, oh, okay, this is what a memoir is. I see, I see. Um, and yeah, but Connie was the one who responded in like 30 minutes. Um, so I was like, oh, so you really, she really, really wanted this. And then after the fact, like, I think we had like, I think maybe like out of the list, maybe like two actively said no, because it was like, oh, like this is not the house for this. Or, oh, we already working on a book that's like very similar. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but yeah, most people were like, yeah we're in like so that's really nice and then first second came up with like the preempt mm -hmm. of oh yeah no we will not only take this book for like this much amount of money but like we will um buy two more unannounced books from you wow so that was like okay like obviously if i want a career in publishing like that's the one i take mm -hmm. yeah we're, it was like my top choice editor so <laughs> Right. That kind of eliminates the decision-making process. Right. Number one yeah. comes back and says, yes. You're like, okay, well, we're set now. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Was that, so, you know, we, first second is awesome. We've had several people that have gone through first second and one of their editors on as well, because it's just, it feels like their quality is just so high in this space. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious when, was that something you communicated to your agent? Like, Hey, in an ideal world, this is who I would want to do it. Or did he already sort of just know that that was the place to go? I think he, I think he kind of knew. Um, I mean, he was like singing high praises to all the editors mm -hmm. on the thing um, on the list. But I was like, okay, but like Connie's worked with works with Tilly, and <laughs> that 
says a lot to me. Um, I mean, there was one instance where like, um, I think it was like, an, he like sent it to uh, like, I forget the imprint or the publishing house, but they actually like the executive editor or like, like the president or something like actually called my agent and was like, yo, like, this is like insane. Like, this is like a really, really lovely story. And like, we would love to take this, but like, we understand if there are like, I think it was like, it really affected people from the first get go. Mm. Um, so that was like, you know, that, that told me that people are going to be into this. Um, but I was worried a lot that like, no one was going to be into this. And I think even Connie was like scared too, because she noticed that I was kind of an angry, I had, I had like some things I was still getting over. And she even, um, admitted at some point, she's like, I don't know if you're ready for this. Like during the middle of working on it, I was like, Oh fuck. And then I realized like, okay, I need to stop being angry and I need to like get over my trauma in like a healthy way. And then I think that's, that was one of the turning points of, you know, making it like less of a call out post and more of like, Oh, this is my fault Mm. sort of. Um, And Connie was one of the people who kind of like helped me out because we really struggled we really struggled with like the bit where like I tried to like unalive myself um, mm. for at that point it was like a second time. And she was like, okay, well, why did you do that? And I was like, I don't know. So we were like talking about that. So Connie was like kind of like a therapist that she didn't really sign up to be. <laughs> she was like, I'm not getting paid enough. And she didn't say this, but I was like, I was like, she's like probably was like, I don't think I'm getting paid enough for this. Um, yeah. So I was going to ask about the editorial process, especially, you know, throughout the development of the story, you know, this sold on pitch. So the, the book wasn't done yet. So there was still a lot of development to go. Was there a lot of back and forth or you said they mostly trusted you to sort of do the story? I think they at some there was a point where like they're like, OK, like the story seems good. Mm. You can draw the pages now. I'm like, all right, great. And then at that point, they trusted me to just like handle the art on my own, um, which is nice because I know that there are some artists who's like they get so much feedback about like little details on the drawings. And I'm like, I thankfully don't have to do that. Um, They seem to trust me, which is nice. Like I'm glad they like my drawings enough. They're like, yeah, no, no, no. Like they can do it on their own. It's fine. It's fine. So thankful for that. I I don't often like to ask questions like, how does this feel? But I want to ask how it felt as sort of this being the first book you'd done to have all of this like support and external validation, like how did that, how did it feel to sort of get that? Was it validating to you as an artist or were you already pretty set and knowledgeable of how talented you were? Oh, (laughs) I I mean, I don't know. I think I give myself like, like I think I do give myself a hard time of like, yeah, you can do this, but like look at other people who can do this. Like I'm always like comparing myself, which is another thing I'm talking to my therapist in uh, roughly an hour. Um, And, but like, sometimes I put all my work together and I I did that for like a lecture I did. Like I, I don't really, it's, I don't really see all my work at once. Like I usually see like maybe like one or two at a time, like from my side, but when I see them all at once, it's like, oh, like these are good. Like they look good. But I always look at them and say, I'm I'm my work, I'm my harshest critic, right? I look at my stuff and I feel like there's a lot that I can improve on which I mean like the sketchbook that I'm working on right now it's just like it's just like it's just me like struggling to improve like I'm just practicing and practicing and practicing because I 
came to realize that there's a lot of stuff in my work that I feel like I'm not comfortable doing. And I'm spending, I think like almost every night, like maybe spending like maybe 10 or 15 minutes understanding the thing that I don't really understand. Um, I think um, a lot of it has to do with, I mean, illustration as a, as a general practice, like you don't have to be good at drawing to be a good illustrator. Um, but I feel like I land in the, in the, um, in the camp of like, oh, like I would like to work in animation one day. Maybe I would like to work on a project one day. Um, but you have to be good at drawing to be in the animation industry. Like you have to be good. You have to understand anatomy. You have to understand. And like, that's the stuff that really like, I love inhaling. Like I want to be good at the technical stuff. And that's a lot of things that I feel like I struggle in still. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, illustrate the reason I went into illustration in the first place was that I came to realize that illustration is like the only thing that I feel like I have an endless drive of like, I have to get better. I have to get better. And I there were a lot of like, for example, UX design, I never felt that like, there was a point where it's like, okay, like, I'm done. I, I like, I can be content with this, but I'm never content with what I have right now. Like, I never I, I know that this could be better. And I know I can be better. And like, how can I possibly get better? Like, how in a way of like, what are ways that I can get better than this? Um, like, I'm always trying to find a direction um, with other things with like violin with um even like with violin, even with like lifting weights or UX design, I never, I, I'm like, eh, like this is good enough for me. I never feel like my drawings are good enough, which is a problem. But I think it's also yeah. such a good barometer for people that aren't sure which route to go of knowing like the one that you want to keep getting better at is probably the one that means the most. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I think my, I mean, that's another, that my brother, I think, got a hard time with that when after I left college because you know after I left um my brother started getting all the shit of like oh well you're not what are you passionate about like what do you want to keep learning and my brother's just a regular guy like he he's interested in some things but like he's not like I, I think like when you compare him with me like I am obsessive about like getting good at something at getting it good at drawing but he's just like a guy he's just a normal person who just like yeah like, I mean I'll do CS but like I'm not gonna like devote all my time to about reading about CS mm -hmm. and I think he got a lot of shit for that because it's like oh well you're not maybe you're not as passionate as as dev so therefore you're not doing enough um I don't know he likes games hey that that's a good passion to have <laughs> that's a good passion to have I mean not my parents not good with my parents, but like, you know, but I think they would argue like, oh, are you, if you're really that into games, you would read about games. You would read, like you would watch movies about games. You would do research about games. My brother likes consuming them. Like as far as I'm concerned or as far as they are concerned, it's like, oh, you just like consuming. You don't really like to produce anything. So we're just about out of time. So I want oh, yes. to get two last questions in. First off, what's next? What, what do you have coming up? Um, I, you can share, well, that is. yeah, like any, I'm going to San Diego Comic-Con tomorrow. Um, I've never been to a single Comic-Con as I told you earlier before we started recording. Um, and I'm working on a 
uh, another graphic novel that I've actually been working on since 2019. So once again, five year track record coming out next year. So I'm it's written by an author named Tina Cho and I'm illustrating it, but it's called The Other Side of Tomorrow from Harper Alley. And it is about escaping North Korea, which mm. is a which is going to be interesting because there are no books about escaping North Korea in the graphic novel world. So I'm, ex I'm interested to see how people react to this. Mm. Yeah. It's an exciting time to be in the, in the young reader graphic novel space because there's it a is. lot of cool um, stuff. It's also my first time working in full color in a, in a book setting. Mm. So I, it's a lot. Um, it's, it looks more similar to the kind of work that I do for, um, for like normal regular clients who are not so um, it's a lot so segueing that into last but not least uh anything, mm -hmm. anything you want to promote other than what you just did where can people find you online on social media all that good stuff yeah so i have like wherever i have like an account of like people where i put content in um i go my username is j d e b b i e l and I do not like to go by the name Debbie in the slightest, but that was the only name that was available in Tumblr in 2012. And I've just like stuck with it. I'm like, well, I guess I'm stuck here now. Um, but yeah, that's, I think um, I say like JWL, but some people say like JWL. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like if you want, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was the only thing left on Tumblr that I could claim that was close to my name at all. So yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Deb, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, have a wonderful time at San Diego Comic-Con. Thank you. And um, if you're going to New York Comic-Con, right? I am. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm tabling. So like, come by and say hello. 100%. I'll be there. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Josh. Absolutely. Yeah. To all our listeners, uh, the recording will be up in a week and we'll be back in two weeks. So we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.